were singing that song and I thought of a joke that I sent Heather and my brother-in-law and sister-in-law yesterday that has nothing to do with my sermon, but it does with that song. But the joke was, uh, when you hear somebody say that God really showed up at church today, do you count him in your worship count? And then if you do, do you put one person or three people? And so we were singing that song. It was a very holy moment. And when we said the word, our God is three in one, I thought of the joke. So I had to share it. Uh, so I apologize, but I thought it was pretty good. All right. So that's nothing to do with anything that we're going to talk about. Um, my first fall here, which was 14, almost 14 years ago, uh, um, some of the young adults came to me and said, we really want you to take us to one of these caves, when you tell stories about caves, we want you to take us to one of these caves. And so we worked up a trip and uh, tried to squeeze it in. The land where this cave is is hunting land. So you try to squeeze it in before, you know, once the bugs kind of die down, but before hunting season starts. And so we set up a trip that fall and we um, drive out to Tennessee and spend the night on this property that a friend of ours owns, camped on that property, got up the next morning. We were in Monterey, Tennessee got up the next morning and do what you do in Monterey, Tennessee, which is go to eat breakfast at Hardee's because it's the only place to eat in Monterey. So we ate at Hardee's, uh, then we go and we head towards uh, the cave and the cave is called Johnson, the full name was Johnson Civil War Cave. I just grew up calling it Johnson Cave. Um, I've told stories about it before. It's technically in uh, Calf Killer Valley, Tennessee. Again, that has nothing to do with anything, but anytime you can bring up the name of a city or a town, it's called Calf Killer Valley. It's just a great name of a town. So it's in Calf Killer Valley, Tennessee. It's a wild cave. There's no tour guides. There's no lights. Uh, there's no one to tell you don't do that. There's no one to come save you if you get hurt. Uh, it's, it's, it's rough. Uh, it's a hard cave. And we went through the cave that day and we spent, you know, most of the day in the cave. We go back as far as I ever take people in the cave. It's back to this big room. It's called Hall of the Mountain King. There, I don't know if it's still there now, but there used to be this PVC pipe that was chained uh, to the rock and you could unscrew it and there was a book in there and you write your name in the book and they kept up with the people that had gone back there. And, uh, and so we, we, you know, we did that. We, we come out of the cave and I thought the trip went really well. Nobody got hurt. Uh, nobody was limping, none, you know, none of those things. Nobody had a meltdown because sometimes it gets tight and we've had meltdowns before. None of those things happened. And I thought the trip went really well. But we were hiking down the hill, going back down to the road and one of the young adults turned to me and said to me, um, Pastor, you weren't completely honest with us about this trip. And I was like, oh, um, what, what do you mean? I, I wasn't honest. And he said, you didn't tell us how hard this was really going to be and how wild this cave really was going to be. Now, for me, I, I thought, well, you're, you're alive, you're walking, you're not hurt. Like, that's a win. Like, I, I successfully got you through this cave without being hurt. And, and so I, I said to him, I said, if you would have known, if I would have told you what it was going to be like, would you have come? And he said, no. And I said, well, then that's why I didn't tell you. Because now you've done something that a lot of people have never done, have never been in a cave in their own. You've done something completely different than so many people. You conquered something. And I said, so I, I, yeah, yeah, I didn't tell you. 
but you survived. You, you made it through it. And I think sometimes in life, that's kind of the way we feel, that we want to say to God, God, you didn't tell us how hard this was going to be. And I think sometimes in the church, uh, or, or in the, the church in Ephesus in particular, I think they kind of might have felt that same way and said to Paul, you know what, Paul? You told us about Christ, we, we accepted him, we said we're going to follow him, we're going to form ourselves as a people, we got that, but you didn't tell us how hard, how wild this was really going to be. And if the people said that to Paul, I think Paul's response would have been something like we read in Ephesians chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses uh, 15 down through 23 so I think if the people said to Paul, Paul, you didn't tell us how hard it was going to be. I think this is what Paul might have said back. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight. That you may grow into your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God, power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ. And it's made him head over all things for the benefit of you, the church. And you, you, the church, the ones who feel like life is so hard, the ones who feel like if I would have known the way this was all going to turn out, I don't know if I would have made these choices. You, you are his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. I think Paul would, would say to them, guys, I, I know it's hard. I pray for you constantly. I pray that you would have spiritual wisdom and insight. I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light. I pray that you would have a confident hope. A confident hope for you to remember that you are his rich and glorious inheritance. I pray that you would have understanding of his incredible greatness and of his power. And this power raised Christ from the dead. It seated Christ at God's right hand. It put Christ over every single thing and put him over the head of the church. And church, I want you to hear that you are not complete by yourselves. But when Christ is your head, that brings the wholeness, that brings the completeness. 
And Paul says these things to him. And and today what I want to do, I want you to have those words in your head. I want you to hear that, that from Paul because I think we come to this text very similar of the way that that young man did with me walking down the hill that day. I don't feel like I was completely told the truth about this life, about what it means to follow Christ. It's way harder than what I thought. Today, I want to kind of merge uh, last week's sermon and this week's sermon and and kind of into one one sermon. If you weren't with us last week, you can go back on YouTube. You could watch it after the sermon, not right now. But one of the passages I looked at, which I said was one of my favorite passages, I'm going to read just a piece of it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 down through 20. I was talking about last week, the title of the sermon was Your True Identity. And I talked about what is our true identity. That's really what we're going to talk about just a little bit deeper today. And so Paul says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and God has given us a task. I like the word vocation there. God has given us a job and that job is reconciling people to him. Now, we've talked about this before, but I don't want to just run over it because I ran over it last week. I want to do it again, just real quick. What, is, what does Paul mean by this? If you have two friends who are at a difference with each other and they don't agree, friend A, friend B, and you realize these two friends disagree with one another and I need to bring them back together then what I have to do is is I have to go to person A and say, hey, person A, you know, we love person B. He's a good guy. He didn't mean what he said. And you have to go to person B and say, you know what, we love person A. Sometimes they hear things that maybe you didn't intend that way and they heard what you said in the wrong way. And and maybe maybe y'all need to come back together. And we would say, what would, if they come back together, what would we say? We would say that relationship was reconciled, was brought back together. And so Paul says, church, do you want to know what your job is? There is a world out here that is apart from God, that is away from God, and they don't understand the truth of who God is. They don't understand how much God loves them. They don't understand all this beautiful, all these things we just read in Ephesians. They don't understand those things. They're apart from him. And your job is to bring that world, to bring those people in your life back into that relationship with the God who loves them. And it is the same thing that Christ did for you. And you're asked to be a part of that. So that's what what Paul says. So Paul says in the very next verse, for it was God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Who did it the first time? This is going to come back in the sermon. Who did it the first time? Christ did it the first time. It was God in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. That was what separated them. But he gave this wonderful message of reconciliation. Verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. We are the one going out, making the appeal, making his appeal to the world through us. And I love the last, I love the way NLT translates this. For we speak. We speak for Christ when we plead 
Person A, person B, come back together. Come back together. Come back into that relationship. And so Paul says, this is what you have been given. You have been given this task, but this task is more than just a task. This task is who you are in Christ. This is your identity. As a Christ follower, we are people in whom Christ dwells. This is your fundamental identity. And guess what? It's not up for debate. It's who you are. This is your fundamental identity. You are people in whom Christ dwells. And remember what Paul said. You can all come together. You can come together and you can say, we're a church. That's great. But if Christ is not the head, you're just a bunch of people together. You're not his body. It is his, it is his head. It is Christ that makes us the church. It is Christ who makes us complete. It is Christ who makes us the body of Christ. So as a Christ follower, we are people in whom Christ dwells. What does it mean to be a Christian? I can tell you very quickly, it is someone in whom Christ dwells. That he lives inside of me. It's really important that last little piece I put up there, it is not up for debate. And some of you are thinking, you know, Pastor, um, I don't know who's debating that with you. That sounds pretty rock solid to me. Well, the world's debating this. The world debates this. The world says to us, behavior is what determines your identity. Now, we in the church, there have been times in our history that we have fallen into this trap. Behavior determines my identity. So I'm a Christian, so what do I do? Well, that means that I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't have this list of things I do. I show up to church on Sunday, thus I'm a Christian. That's the way the world sees identity. It's backwards. Your behavior doesn't create your identity. I am first and foremost a Christ follower. Christ dwells in me. You want to say it together? I am first and foremost a Christ follower. Christ dwells in me. Thank you, the four people that did that. Let's do it again. All right, those four, stay with me, and the rest of you join me and those four people. All right? I am first and foremost a Christ follower, Christ dwells in me. If that is true, my identity is not shaped by my behavior. My identity is shaped because Christ dwells in me. And my identity in Christ shapes my behavior. You hear me? You hear the difference? My identity in Christ is what shapes my behavior. We're going to kind of come back to this at the end because I have a little story to tell there, but I'm going to wait and hold it to the end. So let's kind of, let me, let me, give, you, let me give you an example of this. We are people who are shaped by forgiveness. All right? So if person A, we're back to person A, person B, but let's just go with person A. If person A has, has, has wronged me, then I should forgive them, right? Right? Okay, I, I should forgive them. 
If person A has, has wronged me, I should forgive them. So what I do is I go to person A and this is what I say. You know, you've wronged me. And I would like to forgive you, but this is what I'm going to need you to do. I'm going to need you to um, tell me you're sorry a lot. And then I'm going to need to believe that you believe that. And if you could grovel, that would help. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need, I need to know that you're sorry. I need you to prove to me that you're sorry. I need you to prove to me that you know you messed up. In this situation, who has the power? I do. I have the power because I can withhold my forgiveness from that person, right? And so I need them to do certain things in order for me to forgive them. This is the way that so many times we think about the power. So the question is, in this situation, where is my identity? My identity is I'm someone who was wronged. My identity is, is you hurt me, and now I'm someone who was wronged. Now, the problem is, as we just said it, it's still up on the screen. My identity is in Christ. And that is what shapes my behavior. And so we must remember that our first task as the people of God is not to forgive, but to learn to be people who are forgiven. Our first task, our first task is to know that we aren't just people who forgive, but my identity is wrapped up in who Jesus Christ is. And if my identity is found in who Jesus Christ is, it's more than just me being able to forgive. It's me knowing that I am someone who was forgiven. And when I understand that I was forgiven, when I understand what Christ has done for me, then it doesn't make any sense that I can withhold forgiveness from someone else. Now, y'all have heard me say it before. There was a meme, back before memes were memes, there was, there was a meme that went around Facebook for a while. This was years, like 10 plus years ago. Uh, there was a meme that went around and, and some people shared it. And every time I saw it, I was just like, oh, stop it, stop it. The meme was this, it said, I forgive not because you deserve it, but I forgive because I deserve peace. Now it sounds, that sounds good. The problem is it's not biblical. I don't forgive because you deserve it. I forgive because I was forgiven. And I forgive because I was forgiven, not because I deserved it, but because Christ forgave me first. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for John Parrish and Christ died for you before you ever asked for it. Now, in forgiving, do we get some peace out of it? Sure. But that's not why we forgive. We forgive because we are people whose identity is found in Christ. And what does Christ do? Christ forgives. Why do we love? Because we are people whose identity is found in Christ. And what does Christ do? He loves. We are people who extend grace 
because our identity is found in Christ and Christ is someone who extends grace. And we can, I could keep going if you don't want me to, but I think you might have it. So we look to Christ. We do what he did because we are learning to be with him in order to be like him. We are learning what it is to be with Christ. And when we are with Christ, we learn what it is to be with him. When we love people who are not lovable, we learn what it is to be and to walk with Christ. When we learn to forgive, when we serve, we learn what it is to walk alongside Christ and to see how he serves. When you see broken relationships restored, we don't, we don't participate in that because we want to feel good about ourselves. We participate in it because that's what Christ does. He reconciles. And Paul tells us we are people who reconcile. That's what we do. But my security does not come from this world, but from the truth the truth of the kingdom of God. Hear Paul's prayer again. Paul says to us in this prayer, he says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given those he called, his holy people who are rich and glorious, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Who is he talking to? The church. Okay, he's talking to us. Verse 10, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So my security, where does my security come from? It doesn't come from this world, but it comes from the kingdom of God. And what does Paul tell us about the kingdom of God? This is what you need to know. Now, he is far above any ruler or authority. He's not just a little bit above them. He is far above them. He is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. He's far above any power, any ruler, anything else. But not only of this world but of the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and he and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. My security doesn't come from this world. My security comes from the truth of knowing that what Paul wrote about in Ephesians chapter one is the truth that Christ, the one that I serve, the one that I have a relationship, sits over everything. He's over everything. And in sitting over everything, I can find peace and I can find security. And in the moments in this world when I want to say to God, God, you didn't tell me it was going to be this hard. God could say, but, but you don't understand. You're not, you're not in this world, you're in my kingdom. You're under my authority. So the question, to kind of pull all of this together, the question becomes, 
If we are people in whom Christ dwells, what does that mean for how we live in our communities? What does that mean for us today? It means that we should be champions of truth, of life, of forgiveness, of serving, of blessing, of giving, of uniting, that we should be people of humility. Last night, uh, Heather and I went with Scout to the band banquet, and this was our first uh, experience of the, the high school band banquet. It was at the Civic Center, and uh, there weren't a whole lot of parents there. We, we go to the soccer banquet with Jake, and all the parents come. The band banquet is a little bit different. And so we sit down at a table, and it's Heather and I and all of our friends that are in the band, just the two of us. And so we're at this table by ourselves, and this table next to us is a whole bunch of, of, of band kids. I mean, they're all band kids, but a whole bunch of the teens. Well, they get up and they get their dinner and they come back and there was this one little girl. She comes back to her table and every seat was taken. And she had her plate of food and she walks up and the seat that she was sitting in, when she got up is gone. Somebody's taken it. And she turned and she looked and there's Heather and I at a table by ourselves. And every freshman girl wants to sit at the table with two random adults. And so she puts her food down and she just walks out. And as she walks out, I just said to Heather, I was like, where is she going? Like, tell me she's not going to the bathroom to cry because that's what I would have done when I was that age. And when the same kind of thing would happen to me. And so I do what every, <laughs> what every dad would do, which is put their daughter on the spot. So I text Scout, she's across the room with her friends. I text her, when this girl comes back to our table, do you know her and would you come over here and invite her to come to your table? Not knowing if she knew her at all. So she comes and sits down and we talk a little bit and Scout comes over and invites her to her table. But it was one of those moments where I, I thought through, if, if we're people in whom Christ dwells, this, this girl, just a freshman in high school, who, who had something really in life, it's pretty minor, but as a freshman girl in high school, it's pretty major. But what do we do as the people of God for how we live out Christ dwelling in our community? It stinks to be the pastor's daughter because you get the text that says, come over, and it turns out that she eats at Scout's lunch table and they're friends, so that, that worked out all right, but she ended up, by the time she got to Scout's table, they were out of chairs, and that was all another story, but we got her a seat with people that weren't Heather and I. But the question is, is all of these moments in life, when we ask the question, what, do, what does it mean to be moved by what God is doing? What does it mean to walk with Christ in all of these types of moments? The little moments. I read a statistic today or this week that said that, you know, of our lives, and we all know this, most of our lives are spent at work. Most of our lives are spent at work and they went through and they, they started kind of breaking down that we, we have work or, or if you're younger, if school, most of your lives are spent there. Jake says he spends way too much time at school uh, for the amount of learning that happens, but he spends, we all spend all of this time at work, at school. We spend time with family. We spend time uh, with other organizations, whether it's uh, church, whether it's something else. So all of these things that, that, that take our time what does it mean for me to be someone 
who shows up into those places and say, how can I minister here? At work, in my family. How do I minister in organizations with, whether it's the PTA or the soccer board that Scout and I, or Heather and I went to this week, what does it look like for me to give myself, but to be in those places and to show that Christ is one who dwells in me? I think a big piece of that is, is that we have to be people of humility, people that realize that we don't know everything. We're not always right. I'm an Azarene pastor because I believe Wesleyan theology is the truest picture of who God is. But that doesn't mean that other people are wrong. It doesn't mean that I have something above someone else. That I enter into those things in humility, that I enter into those places with kindness. Last week I read from you a, a little story from a book by Bob Goff. I've been reading that, continued reading that book this week, and there was one quote that I, I underlined because I was just like, ooh, that's a really good quote. And then when I was working my sermon this week, I'm like, ah, that's a great quote. He said, the most, dis- most disagreeable people don't think they're mean, they just think they're right. Dwight, you shouldn't laugh that hard at that. That's, that's, but it's true. The most disagreeable people don't think they're mean. They just think they're right. And what happens in life when we walk through life and you just say, I, I, I'm just here to love. I'm just here to serve. I'm just here to show you what grace looks like. I'm just here to show you what life looks like. I'm not here as John Parrish. I'm not here as Gardendale Church of Nazarene. I'm here as someone in whom Christ dwells. And when you hurt, I hurt. When you walk through the band banquet with your plate of food and you don't have anywhere to sit, I hurt. Because Christ dwells in me. And Christ moves me to compassion. And we are people that look in those times to say, what is it to be at the grocery or the bank or the gas station or the post office or wherever we might find ourselves to be someone who says, I walk in with humility. I walk in as the way that Christ would walk in and say, what is it that I do here today? One of the questions that I've been kind of going through my head this week It's a pretty simple question. I heard it a long time ago and it came back to me this week. But the question of what would love have me do today? What what would love have me do today with my family? What would love have me to do today with this work situation? What would love have me to do today with this boss and this employee who don't get along? What does love have me to do in all of these situations? How do I show that love? How do I show that compassion everywhere I go? Because my security is not based in who I am. My security is based in who God is. My security is based in the words of Paul when he says that you'll understand the incredible greatness of who God is the power for those who believe, that's where my security is. 
And if my security is found there, then all of those other things I don't have to worry about because I know that God is there. I know. I know that if we were together walking down that hill that day from Johnson Cave, most of you would look at me and say, Pastor, I didn't know it was going to be this hard. I don't feel like you were completely honest with us. I, I get it. I feel that way. But I read the words of Paul that say to us, when we understand who we are and where Christ dwells, we have hope. We have life. When we start to ask the question, not what do I need to do, but if I'm someone in whom Christ dwells, what does it mean for me to live in my community? What does it mean for me to work where I work? What does it mean for me to be in the church that I'm in? What does it mean to be in my family? Because my identity is not my work. My identity is not my church. My identity is not my family. My identity is Christ. To be people in whom Christ dwells, what does that mean for me? This morning, as we close, uh, we're going to close as we have been closing. Uh, Pastor James is going to come and be at this far altar to pray with anyone who might uh, come this morning and not know Christ as their Savior, to say, Pastor, you have made us all say, I'm someone in whom Christ dwells and Christ doesn't dwell in me. I don't know what that means. That, that's not been something that has happened in my life. Pastor James would love to talk to you about that. He would love to pray with you. I'll be down here at this altar if anyone wants to come and be anointed for healing. I would love to be able to pray with you, uh, to anoint you. But our other two altars, our altars that maybe this morning you are someone who just says, I, I don't know what it means for me in my community. I, I don't know what it means for Christ to dwell in me and what that looks like in these situations because pastor, life is harder than you know. And I just need to come. I just need to come and have that talk with God and just say, God, it's, it's, it's harder than you think. You, you didn't tell me it was going to be like this. But I promise you that there is peace, that there is hope, that there is a God who wants to turn your life around, a God who wants to be a part to bring hope, to bring life. I didn't know it was going to be this hard. I know. But there is a God who says to us through Paul, I pray for you constantly for spiritual wisdom, that your heart will be filled with light, that you'll have a confident hope, that you'll remember that you are his richness and glorious inheritance, that you would understand his incredible greatness and power. And to be reminded this morning that even when we feel there is no hope, even when we feel lost, even when we just want to say to God, I didn't know it was going to be this hard, that God says, I'm there. Come to me. Let us stand as we pray.